0: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Stop I'm already, dead. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, already dead.
2: You're listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. I'm Robin.
0: And I'm Steph.
2: And we really need to get to our guests because I don't trust this guy any further than I could throw him.
0: Well, with your bad knee, Robin, you shouldn't throw anybody.
2: What's so dangerous about a character like Bob Dearden is he gives the viewers of iZombie bad ideas. hmm Last thing I need is 1,500 Dearden disciples listening to our show. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively host this podcast.
0: Well... Makes you look like an ass is what he does, Robin.
2: Thank you, Steph. I think you're wrong.
0: Oh, he's very popular, Robin. The zombies, monthly zombies, dead enders, chicks, rager shippers, Blaine apologists, science experts, the people that still can't get over Lowell's dying, all the folks... In our feedback section. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.
2: That is why we really have to call him out on writing such a fun episode. To show these listeners the example he sets is a first-class ticket to nowhere.
0: Oh, Robin, you sounded like Dirty Harry just then. Really? Uh Uh-huh.
2: Well, let's welcome back to the show, Bob Dearden.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there.
2: (laughs) Well, we wanted to pay back the favor. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well done, well performed.
2: Well, welcome back to the show, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we're at watch status yet. Um,
3: I thought I was going to get pants, and then by the like, if I come on again, oh, it might be two, so that I, I have most of the whole suit.
2: Oh, that's true. Yeah, gold pants, Absolutely. right? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I just need, like, if I get invited to a wedding or something, I need a whole ensemble to go with the jacket I've already won.
2: <laughs> well, I do have to uh, thank you because we had uh, Diane on a couple weeks ago, and one of the things she said at the end of the episode was like, well, I had to come on. I just figured if if Dearden's on, I- I'm going to have to jump on here, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, Diane... Uh, I don't think she spends a whole lot of time trying to play catch up with me, that's for sure. Oh you <laughs> may have been pulling your chain a bit. I'm sure she was happy to come on just to talk about herself.
2: Well it was a fun interview. And uh we have some uh
3: sure it was.
2: we have some fun uh, ahead of us today talking about uh Death moves pretty fast that you wrote that you wrote and um Linda Lee Gator directed was it is that the name I have? Linda Lisa Hater. Thank you.
3: Also known as LL.
2: LL. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was interesting about her, I looked up, I saw that she was like a writer's room assistant and she directed Mac Live More and now she's she directed this episode.
3: Well, I have to correct you there. She wasn't a writer's room assistant. Oh. She is a, um, a script supervisor on set uh, uh, and has worked on, on many other shows but uh, has been with iZombie as well since the beginning. So she's part of the core team that has been there kind of running things up in Vancouver, uh, from the get go. And I believe in season four, she directed her first episode and this was her second for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's sort of moving into that as a, uh, as a new field of opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think did an amazing job with both of her episodes for us and I'm sure she's going to, I'm sure she's going to be in demand with all the shows that are up there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both this one and Mac live more. Were a lot of fun, you know, and, yeah. and high energy. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
1: We'll take them out. Uh, so
0: what did this okay. episode, did, were you just told, like, <laughs> the topic is the 80s, or was it, uh, uh, did, did they say Ferris Bueller, or what was the genesis?
3: Um, well, we were, uh, you know, we were starting to kind of pitch in the abstract on ideas, and the idea of a, of a Ferris Bueller type, most popular kid in the school came up. Um, and as I recall in the, in the beginning, my thought was that it would be Ferris Bueller at like 25 or 27 or something like that. Um, and I didn't really think of it as, uh, you know, more of an homage. And Rob Thomas kind of steered us more in that direction, which I think is to the episode's benefit ultimately. Um, and so once, once we kind of landed on, you no, know, he's like, you know, just at a high school or whatever. And and it it is more of a straight comparison or a straight kind of um, parallel to Ferris Bueller. Um, Uh And that's when the eighties references started just kind of naturally, you know, becoming a part of it and became more of a, more of an outright homage than I guess we had thought at the very beginning. But um, I I think it works. I mean, it it kind of, in a bit of a cheaty way, it sort of makes it easier because every time you're stuck on something, you just think of that movie and and there's something to reference always, you know, whether it's a a character or a plot point or just like a, just a little aside or a joke within the scene. Um, It's nice to have that kind of a crutch where you can just go back and be like, Oh, this is what happened when Ferris did it. Let's, let's do our version of that.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I mean we're gonna, we should really just get right to the recap because there are so many different ways that uh you pay homage to to Ferris and and uh and other movies as well. Um, yeah. um so our first chapter is anybody alive out there. We have uh, young Ferris Bueller, I mean Harris Burroughs, uh <laughs> rocking out in his uh homemade pirate radio station to the song uh Double Trouble. There are a lot of good tracks in this episode. Did you play any role in uh, saying, Hey, maybe this track will work?
3: Um, I don't remember, uh, to be honest, like every script that I've written, I try to, um, dictate what the music is going to be. And then, you know, very rarely do I get my wish, but that has a lot to do with, I mean, it has a lot to do with creative choices or preferences of other people that outrank me, but it also has a lot to do with just the rights and the affordability of different songs. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Uh, so I don't know who picked that one. That one wasn't me for sure, but uh, it may have been Rob, who always has a big hand in the music because he was a musician himself and has like an encyclopedic brain, encyclopedic brain for um, for all that, all things musical. Um, and then we have a, uh, a music supervisor, Casey Truman, who does an excellent job just kind of like combing through you know, all of her resources. So it might've been one of them. It might've been LL. Um, and it might've been somebody I'm not even thinking of. And, and so nobody gets credit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so we have Harris played here by Philip Bolden, uh, known mostly for kid roles. in are we there yet? How would he eat fried worms? Johnson family vacation. Um,
0: he's a cutie pie.
2: Yeah. He's, uh, he's, a uh, he took a break after all these kids kid roles, and it looks like this is like one of his first roles as like you know a young twenty something year old. And I'm saying, give this kid a show because uh, I think he did really well as Harris.
0: Yeah, I think he has a lot of charisma, and you needed somebody who was just like so likable.
2: Mm-hmm. How close to what you were picturing, Bob? Did did uh, uh, Philip come to?
3: I think pretty close. Like you said, the energy and stuff was the energy and charisma is what we were going for. And yeah. uh, I think he did a great job on both of those fronts. We had, we had a few other really good auditions, too. It was it was a bit of a question mark, I guess, as to whether or not somebody who's, you know, in their early 20s or late teens today would really know that reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a few people that clearly didn't. Uh, <laughs> and then we had a few people that definitely did. And, and uh, we were pretty happy with those performance.
2: I was I was watching uh like a teen movie on Netflix today and they were referencing this kid was like I don't know like 13 and he was referencing Werner Herzog.
0: <laughs> wow. I was like really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know now my kid at 13 knew Werner Herzog. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, nobody else's kid at 13 knows uh, Werner
2: Herzog. Anyway, uh,
0: And and also like 80s this 80s culture. I just wonder how much the, the kids are really into this stuff. Like, is it even on their radar or is it us, the Gen Xers, uh, you know, putting it out there like for, for our amusement, you know, there's a lot of eighties like
2: parties that go on and stuff. It's pretty popular. Okay. I had an eighties birthday party.
0: Yeah. It was fun. you're a Gen Xer.
2: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I guess it doesn't count then. <laughs> I was also too old to have birthday parties, but whatever. <laughs> um, so I, I love this aesthetic. I, we, we found out this later that this kid is rich, but he's surrounded by this old school equipment.
3: Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously a a little reference to pump up the volume. And yeah. In our minds, he was just one of these guys that uh, he just had his own, you know, sort of interests and hobbies. And it wasn't about – it was more about um, – I don't know, feeding his quirks the way he spent his money than, than about, you know, trying to get the newest, best technology. I mean, he, I, I'd never pictured him as a guy who wanted to uh, start a career in radio or something like that. This was just a goof. Like, everything in his life was just a goof, you <laughs> know? just having fun with it in his way.
0: Yeah, because, like, when you were 19 and if you had, like, millions of dollars from cryptocurrency, like, what would you buy? ridiculous stuff
2: <laughs> like silly stuff i just imagined that he was like a fan of pump up the volume as well as like other 80s movies and yeah. uh, i mean pump up the volume actually came out in 1990 but you know close enough um and uh was like i i i want i want a whole studio just like that and just like hit ebay and paid like top price on everything just to make sure he got it all uh-huh because there's like a reel-to-reel there's a neon sign there's an on-air light um a lot of those look like what we're in, uh, pop up the volume.
3: Yeah. The production design did really, I mean, all that stuff wasn't necessarily in the script, but the, our production designers and prop people always do a fantastic job kind of building out the worlds that we write to. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think you nailed it. Like that was, that was our idea was he was, you know, he had, uh, more money than he could possibly spend. And so a small portion of it went to eBay searches for old and <laughs> yeah. radio stuff, you know, just for the fun of it.
2: Um, yeah, I know. And, and uh, you know, Christian Slater plays records in the movie and, in, in the in here, uh, Harris is playing these old things called cassette tapes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh, he does a little air drumming here too, which I thought was a uh, very Ferris spieler. When I, yeah. when I saw him set up with all this old equipment, I thought, well, I've been looking for all these iZombie homages as well. There's been, you know, payback to Things that have happened in the past, and I thought he was going to go like uh, Sasha Arconi does in the episode Dead Air, the the radio DJ. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> that gets electrocuted, but I guess not.
3: <laughs> well, we try not to recycle our exact causes of death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we try to avoid on the show.
2: Uh, so, yeah, he throws this huge party. There uh, Again, awesome 80s fashions. I love Harrison, the LL Cool J, where the the red Kangol bucket hat and the gold chains. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, Ex boyfriend j- dressed like Don Johnson, and uh, Amy who shows up uh, dressed from the eighteen eighties.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, He's a clever one. Yeah. Uh, so we have characters like Jamie Ross a- and Amy O'Neill, and I'm assu- I'm just wondering if it's like. It's like, is Jamie Ross going to be like, is is he like Jake Ryan? Is Amy O'Neill like April O'Neill maybe?
3: No. No? (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to tell you our references go that deep. Um, Amy O'Neill is, uh, I mean, we we go through a dozen names for a lot of people because our initial choices don't clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And Amy O'Neill is a friend of mine from uh, a former life back when I used to work in forestry. Uh, and Jamie Ross is a family name actually so oh. yeah
2: alright well I'm totally off the name. <laughs> <laughs> I, w-
3: I wish I could tell you that uh, you know I, I had that many levels <laughs> um, but honestly when you're when, when I'm on script anyway it's a it's a battle against time to try and you know put out the you know the best possible product so I don't get fired <laughs> uh, in, in a short time so I you know I think think about i dedicate time to the things that i can when it comes to secondary characters names i almost always just try to name them after somebody i know to amuse myself mm-hmm. even though those people are probably not watching
2: i still waiting for a robin and a staff to show up here i don't know time's <laughs> running out <laughs> um, so we go to uh, Blaine's house, and, and I don't know. This is a little production detail. Maybe you don't know, but I, I, a lot of the gl- the glass and the pool. I'm I'm wondering if if this house was used for uh, Chase's house, um, and and maybe you know in canon, you know Blaine just took over Chase's house after Chase was executed.
3: Well, that we we I don't recall us discussing as far as the production goes. I don't think so. I can't guarantee that it's not the same house, mm-hmm. but I think. Um, Chase's house had a, had a pool in the backyard and big hedges. And, um, I was never at this house, Blaine's house, but I saw pictures and, um, I think he's in the pool in the the first episode and it's a different, it's a different setup in the back. So I'm going to assume it's not the same
1: same
3: spot. I didn't exactly go uh, back and look at
2: photos or anything.
3: (laughs) Well, I also, I, I don't know that, I, I don't know how wealthy Chase was. I mean, I guess you know if you think about these guys that run these um sort of mercenary private private armies i imagine they do quite well so maybe he was you know in the same tax bracket as blaine so it is kind of funny to think that that's what blaine did as a bit of a middle finger to uh Gilmore Gray. more <laughs>
1: exactly
2: um all right so we go we're, we're at blaine's house and al is here talking to blaine um you know what's the difference between old and new blaine well new blaine is respected and um and then she starts kind of poking him about Baracus and uh, Blaine kind of coldly says, "You know, whoever killed him owes me because he has a huge tab." It's yeah. almost like a clue that you know, some, you know, he's he's not exactly very emotional about uh, the, the the mayor being killed.
3: Well, also just a reference to the uh, the fact that the mayor had his vices yes. as well and uh, lived a. Um, a life that wasn't quite on the up and up, mm-hmm. so maybe it, it could have been anybody who killed him.
0: And it's so nice to see the shoe of the other foot. Like Blaine is being, uh, he's being played mm-hmm. instead of he's not the player. He's being played, and he yeah. thinks he's being the player.
3: Well, it certainly seems that his Achilles' heel in that respect is brunettes. Um, yeah, she's one blind butt.
2: Yeah, she does look kind of Peyton-ish. <laughs>
3: yeah, and uh, you know, um, very strong, smart women, both of yeah. them. And he's got his type uh, to to just call in the middle of the night, and then he's got his type that um, makes him, you know, forget or uh, lose track of some of his lose focus and some of his scheming and manipulation.
2: And, uh, I, uh, I think it was in this scene where, you know, Blaine makes a date with Al and they set it for Thursday at eight, <laughs> which I think was uh, a shout out to the, you know, the scheduling of iZombie. Uh, maybe, maybe. We didn't, we
3: didn't know the scheduling at that time. So, uh, that was, uh,
2: oh, that was you know? yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> also the call back to the soiree, you know, the brat next door is always trying to out soiree me. <laughs> yeah. Um, So we go back next door and we meet Ham, who is there with just a black T-shirt and 80s spelled out in tape. So I'm just assuming he's not as rich as Harris.
3: Well, I think in that moment, it's not so much that he's not as – I mean, he's not as rich. No one's as rich as Harris, but it's just that he's not – he doesn't buy in. It's like a – it's a bit of a silent
2: protest. Right. Mm. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, the, the, you really, uh, you really. I, I felt like you really came hard for uh, uh, Cameron. You know, the Cameron role in 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 this episode. You know, do you, did you do you feel like a you know certain pity for him in the movie? You think maybe Cameron got a raw deal? Uh, I mean, not necessarily not to murder I mean, people, but
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you think back like if that movie was made now? I think it'd be looked at a lot differently. Like a lot of John Hughes movies. Yeah, um, but. Ferris really messes up Cameron's world for what? For a a day of playing hooky that we all enjoy, but like in the world where Cameron's life continues after that movie, like he went to a baseball game and saw a parade and the cost for that was, um, you know, he wrecked a very expensive Ferrari and probably his relationship with his father Mm -hmm. as a result, even though it's treated as cathartic. So an argument could be made that, um, He's got a just justifiable uh, motive for murdering Ferris uh even in in the feel good sort of happy ending context of that movie uh, and in our case you know it, it was um I don't know that it was necessarily a um, like our legal argument in favor of that or our, our <laughs> yeah. cultural, uh, pop culture argument in favor of that or anything it was more just. That's how it played out. Like, we went over a bunch of suspects. We originally had a sister as well. Oh, a genie? <laughs> yeah. And, um, she got, uh, cut for page space before we even, like, cast or went into production or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had, we had a lot of, uh, what we thought were viable suspects, um, who were also all sort of like winks to characters in the movie that, that, uh, had reason for en- enmity toward Ferris. So it, it kind of played out that it was, ham in the end, but I, I I don't know that it was our, like, um, statement on, you know, like an alternate history of those
2: Day off. Um, so, so we have Blaine show up at the doorstep, and I just think it's so funny to see Blaine interacting with a bunch of, like, kids who just do not take him seriously at all, and just think like, he's some old dude. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. Because uh, I'm older than Blaine, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like of all the insults that could be hurled at me by a party full of high schoolers
2: that would probably cut the deepest. <laughs> and uh and the fact that they think that he i don't I'm, maybe they're just joking, but they say, "Oh we know you, you used to play Doogie Hauser is that like a like a i mean I never thought that uh Neil Patrick Harris and David Anders looked alike, but thinking about it like oh, maybe some people." Uh, make that mistake. Is that like a pop culture thing that you're referencing or is it just kind of like a, a fun joke?
3: I can't remember if it's something that we, we found online or whatever, but it, I mean, to me, they, they do bear a passing resemblance. Right. And then, um, especially if you think about, like if you try to think about Blaine as Neil Patrick Harris's age during Houser, mm-hmm. Um it that amused me. Um, and just the <laughs> sort of reverse of like Blaine thinks, they know how dangerous he is. That's what that comment means. But really it's just the setup to insult him some more.
2: <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, the, I, I enjoy killing people who piss me off and that's not her hyperbole. Yeah. It's at this moment. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, how many teen- teenagers has he murdered already before? So like, they should right. really be worried.
3: <laughs> yeah. If only they uh, had, you know, people in the same circles, that, uh, that had worked at meet cute. I, maybe they would have known better than to piss him off. Yep.
2: Um, all right. So we, you know, we, his, his eyes go red. We, then we cut away to, uh, a, a vengeful cod, um, the chapter and we have, uh, chicks henchman, Brian, or maybe just like, a somebody that sh- Dolly hired, um, showing Dolly, um, uh, three human heads in a cooler. <laughs> Which I thought was like a might have been a throwback yeah. as well. Um, you you
3: will have to refresh my memory <laughs> to, to what
2: Um To uh, physician heal thy selfie, uh, Liv finds three heads in a fridge, and then the next scene we see that the the cops have like packaged packaged all three up in plastic and put them in a cooler. So the cooler's like open with three heads sticking out of it.
3: Yeah. Uh, well you see, Robin, I don't I don't actually watch the show. Uh, <laughs> So, all of these, uh, I mean, I, we, we can take credit as a writing staff for yeah. being extra clever, or we could admit the truth that uh, some of these things are just happy accidents. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> so, Dolly uh, instructs uh, Brian to put the brains directly into the tubes, not to make. So, it's all kind of setting up something that's going to happen later. Um, we cut back to Harris, it's the, it's the next day or maybe it's later and we see the pizza on the turntable. And I swear, I, I, I don't know if that's, that was your design or if that was LL's design. Like, uh, that,
3: that, was, all,
2: that was all LL. Okay. That one. I'm like, it's, what, yeah. re, what movie is that a reference to? I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've seen that image before. Uh, I knew at the time and I'm, I'm completely gapping, but
3: you 16 it. It
0: just, candles, 16 don't candles. Know. Really?
2: Oh,
3: you
0: don't <laughs> I know. don't know. <laughs> um,
2: All right. So we go, we see Harris walk by, they've got a pretty close, that robe looks a lot like Ferris Bueller's robe um, that he's wearing and the hair up in the towel. Yeah. And uh, and one thing I noticed, we've had a lot of AirPods in the season and for some reason, Harris going old school, not AirPods, just regular earbuds.
3: (laughs) Oh, I hadn't noticed that we had a lot of uh, AirPods. That's a, Um, beyond a script-level decision, I think, in most cases. (laughs) So that must be props deciding that uh, that's what's, you know, hip and now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess if we were really going with the 80s homage, you should have had, like, a foam Walkman set of headphones with the foam on them. Right. uh, Like the old Walkman. An (laughs) oversight on our part, I guess.
2: Well, which which makes me think, like, you know, when he goes into the the steam room and he gets uh, locked in there, or drilled in there, rather... um, I all, all of a sudden think, is that a phone that he has there? Or so I just kind of convinced myself, no, it's just like a little MP3 player with no cellular.
3: <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that.
2: <laughs> but the, dr- the, the drill, I think is another homage. I don't know again, if you're, if you guys meant this or not, but I immediately think of Blaine drilling Jackie. And so it makes you think it might be Blaine that's doing this.
3: Yeah, we, we did consider that. Oh, okay. Um, although the, you know, the murder, um, the the method of murder was sort of pitched in the abstract and then we realized after the fact like oh this this leans into the idea that it's Blaine because he's been known to use power tools as you said
1: mm-hmm.
2: and okay so we go. We got the crime scene, Liv and Ravi are there and Officer Harris which is funny is like Officer Harris has been getting more and more lines these days it seems I, I, I'm not yeah. sure if that's on, on purpose or not but it's like hey there's Officer Harris again he's He's not just getting coffee, you know, he's, um, but
3: yeah, it's, I mean, it's always nice to bring back people that we, you know, have some familiarity with. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that was by design.
2: So again, yeah, speaking of, uh, by design, we have this whole setup of the slippery nipple on the, the staircase and I'm assuming you guys were like planning ahead for maybe Clive to direct the next episode. So we needed time to have off to do that.
3: That is a very astute observation on you. Um, you know, the, the production schedule is uh, for almost the entire shooting schedule of one episode. Um, the director and all the other departments behind the scenes are preparing for what's like the episode that will follow. Um, so for seven of our eight shooting days, you know, Malcolm was in meetings and uh, location scouts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we had to come up with a way to kind of minimize... Uh, his screen time in a, a semi logical way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all worth it, not only for the comedy that he brings in this episode, um, but for the work that he did on, on five Oh six, which he directed, uh, which you will see on Thursday.
2: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it.
3: Um, and he did a, he did a fantastic job. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to, you know, sort of accommodate in a way that, that <laughs> makes me laugh every time I think of him on that, uh, <laughs> On that first Skype call Or FaceTime
2: call Uh, Can you settle right here Right now Is Clive Batman I mean Can can you say a definite (laughs) Yes or no Or is this something We have to speculate on For the rest of the series (laughs) Uh, 100% He is Batman I knew it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and by the way When Officer Eileen Showed up Which is I believe is a new character I was like We're gonna hear Come on Eileen later (laughs) Yeah I'm ready for it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, she,
3: she was a new character created for that uh, explicit pur- purpose. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, we have, uh, we have. Wait,
0: I Googled it. There is a pizza on a turntable in 16 candles.
2: Oh, you, a... you called it.
0: Yes, my favorite movie ever.
3: Well done.
2: <laughs> um,. So so Ravi and Liv are now going to team up to uh take on this case and uh go talk to the doddering old crank next door.
0: <laughs>
2: and it turns out to be Blaine, which it, I just love the, the the thing where Liv is says he's under arrest for murder and it goes to ad break. It's like just a perfect like leaves you on a big laugh, you know? Right
0: like again <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know he, th- they have no authority whatsoever i mean she's she can she's a medical exam they're both medical examiners so they can get in on crime scenes but they can't like arrest people i'm sure uh and also just i don't know blaine blaine is a dangerous character uh and i, I just the humor of them being like all right you're going to listen to us yeah. now
0: <laughs> yeah and they wouldn't be doing this if it if she wasn't on Harris's brain.
2: She's not on Harris's brain yet. Oh. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I I I think uh I don't know. They're they're looking for hashtag justice for lol, right? <laughs> 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 um all right, so we find out Blaine has uh has uh oh wait. Uh you guys did you did sneak in the uh a, a nice Thor Ragnarok uh, line here with the, uh, you know, Blaine, R- Robbie's saying, I swear you're going to pay for it if you did it. And Blaine goes, will I though? <laughs> Which
3: is that is that from Thor? Uh,
2: yeah. The, Ragn- the Ragnarok. It's like, I forget what he says, but it's kind of like the same expression. It's like the, is he, you know?
3: <laughs> well, that makes sense because I've seen that movie though. I, I don't remember that specific um, exchange and I'm sure it was in my subconscious. Yes. Yeah, I was, uh, hoping I'd come up with it independently. So um, thank you for pointing it out that I completely uh, ripped off. A, a,
2: <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I, I've seen... It's, I'm, I'm not even sure if Thor even originated that, you know, that... that I don't know. It's probably yeah.
0: just the Taco ta- ta- Waititi wati- humor. Mm. Yeah. humor.
3: And I'm sure they, they weren't the first to do it either. So right. I'm
2: just- <clears throat> so Al is an Al Ibai for Blaine at least. Uh, and so Ravi and Liv have to walk out pretty pissed off. Um, so we go to Enzo asking what to do about the, this, these chicks. They're blockading the dispensaries and major offers machetes and hand grenades at first, but Enzo, uh, he's just pulling one on Enzo and, uh, Major's still coming up with the the peaceful approach, which is to switch to mobile deliveries. But suddenly we see that he can't remember Hobbs's name, which I mean, you know, I couldn't remember Hobbs's name, but you know, he's he's in charge. So <laughs> Commander Major.
0: Yeah, and you know that it has something to do with who's the COD lady?
2: Oh, uh Dolly.
0: Dolly. Dolly. She's Dolly good. She's um good. We know that – and, like, we don't know what's going on, but we know it has something to do with that.
2: Mm. Indeed. Yeah, I, I actually didn't make the connection on my first viewing. Um, I was thinking – I was like, oh, god. Like, I immediately thought of, uh, you know, the, the – Attempts at making a cure for a zombie and how, like, Major got really sick and then it seemed like...
0: Yeah, maybe sp- this is like a latent yeah. reaction to what happened before. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I
2: immediately started thinking of that. I was like, ah, oh, they're obviously paying homage to uh, an earlier season. <laughs> but, uh no, I obviously wasn't paying as close attention as I should have.
1: <laughs> well, we did
3: wonder if it was a bit too um, repetitive to have... Major um, experience and memory problems again, and if, if it would send people down that path, but I think it works as a as a misdirect. I think yeah. probably a lot mm-hmm. of people out there remembering what happened to them a few seasons ago.
0: Well, I mean, I like this mystery because it's not yeah. just black and white, spoon fed to you. In case you weren't paying attention, this, you know, it's like it, there is a mystery there. It leaves you wondering for several scenes until you put it together.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what we were feuding for. Mm-hmm. So I think we're doing—is it—is it dumplings this week or is it potstickers? Which which were you guys going for? Because i dumplings. Was it? Steam dumplings. Steam dumplings. So what is? Mm-hmm. How does that relate to Harris Burroughs? Well, he was killed in a steam room. Oh.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You guys are too good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, usually we do match the method of cooking or the meal that's prepared with the personality. And in this case, you're right. It had nothing to do with them personality wise. But yeah, uh, yeah, we just like the steam steam connection.
2: (laughs) Um, So Ravi is super sad. He's reading an article online uh, about Isabel written by her mother. And it's an interesting one. If you look closely, so I actually recorded myself reading it earlier today and I'm, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play it now. The life and death of Isabel Bloom by Layla McCoy from the Idaho citizen news. In many ways, Isabel Catherine Bloom was your typical Boise teen. She managed a 3.5 average in her classes at North End High, spent weekends at the Southgate Mall with friends, and volunteered at the Sunset Humane Society. In her short 16 years of life, she amassed a list of extracurricular activities that would have helped her gain acceptance in a major university, where she dreamed of one day getting her Ph.D. in biology. But one of the items on the resume made Isabel not so typical, a diagnostic test she developed at the age of 15 for the detection of the Ebola virus. It was this invention that drew the attention of the science community and won Isabel the top prize in the Idaho State Science Fair. A proud daughter of the Gem State, Isabel showed a keen interest in the sciences at a young age. Principal Dearden of North End High School says he noticed right away that Isabel's talents in the sciences exceeded her age. There was a spark about her, he says. When she had an idea, you listened. While most 16-year-olds are focused on preparing for the SATs or learning how to drive, Isabel had her eyes set on something bigger. When the Ebola outbreak began, she got to work, says her mother, Wendy Bloom. Every mother thinks their child is special. Isabel truly was. But it was more than her talents in the sciences that made Isabel unique, and ultimately led to her untimely death. Every mother thinks their child is special. Isabel truly was. But it was more than her talents in the sciences that made Isabel unique, and ultimately led to her untimely death. Isabel was one of the several hundred known patients with Fralick Syndrome, a rare disease that produces an overgrowth of glycoproteins in its victims' brains. Patients of the disease rarely live past their teenage years, often succumbing to complications from sub Arachnoid hemorrhage caused by the swelling of blood vessels. At the age of 16, Isabel's family was given the devastating news that their daughter had just six months to live. Ever hopeful, they arranged for Isabel to travel to Seattle to become a zombie, a decision they knew would draw harsh criticism from some of their friends. Sure, it's controversial, but until your child is given a death sentence, spare your judgment. You do what you have to to prevent your child from dying. Isabel and her family also knew it was a journey that included high risk, as well as an illegal border crossing into the walled city of Seattle. But it was a risk they were willing to take. Once Isabel crossed into Seattle, she was to meet the infamous Renegade, the leader of the Coyote Syndicate made famous last year by the documentary of the same name. But things weren't so simple. According to her family the zombie scratch proved ineffective on Isabel. Seattle scientist Dr. Ravi Chakrabarti, who treated and studied Isabel in her final days, discovered that Isabel's Frailix syndrome made her immune to the disease. In the weeks following her death, Dr. Chakrabarti underwent further tests on Isabel's brain. The former CDC doctor was able to determine that her brain was not a vaccine for the zombie disease, but a cure. According to Wendy Bloom, Isabel's brain was used to cure the first patient of the zombie disease. There was one silver lining in all of this, says Wendy. Her death saved a life. Isabel's brain made a zombie human again. Isabel's final decision to donate her brain to science was, according to those who knew her, in keeping with the generous spirit she exhibited in life. Her bravery and selflessness is a testament to the best in all of us, says her best friend, Lisa Gibbons. She'd always wanted to help people. She even did so in death. So, so for the article, I I picked out a few things that were interesting. How much of a role did you play on writing that article or was it handed off to somebody else?
3: Uh, I think it was handed off to somebody else. And I, I wish I could tell you who that was. Mm -hmm. It was, Possibly Phil Hoover, who's our script coordinator and wrote, uh, co-wrote episode two this year. Mm-hmm. Possibly Lisa Timmons, who uh, was John Inbaum's assistant. John took over as the showrunner um, right around episode six. Um, I'm going to say it was one of those two people, but I'm not 100% sure. It's
2: strange. In the in the article, uh, it says her principal's name was Dearden. Uh, any relation at all? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, well, clearly I didn't read that because this is the first I'm hearing of it. Oh, really? Uh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> those guys probably, um, you know, messing with me slash putting something in to check if I actually would bother reading that. Copy. <laughs> but also, like, it also may have been somebody on the production end too. I, I really don't know, but um, it's good to know that I, I finally made it into the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not getting beat up on a on a by a hockey goon on a
2: on an ice rink. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a couple other things. Uh, Isabel's middle name is Catherine. So basically, this this horrible death tragedy that uh, you know wrecked my heart. Um, this this child has. One of my daughter's first names And my other daughter's middle name
1: <laughs> so, it's like, oh, really? yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so I was like, oh gosh, just stick the knife in harder uh, um, oh, Yeah, that's not good,
3: sorry about that
2: I'm sure you guys totally meant it <laughs> Like, we'll get him <laughs> <laughs> uh, Also says that she planned to get a PhD in biology She studied the Ebola virus and won a science fair For developing something that would detect it um oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. But, I mean, Quite a for a 16-year-old. I guess I guess uh I guess I can see why she'd be so game to work with Ravi and and then donate her her brain to science.
1: Um Yeah,
3: I mean, we always certainly had had described her in in backstory as somebody who had a, a you know, big uh, sort of a nerdy scientific interest that aligned with Ravi's. Uh and I mean nerdy in the most complimentary way. Yeah. Um but, uh, I really should read the copy of the, uh, stuff that goes into my episodes because that was news to me. Um, and I, I suspect that, um, in the real world, that would have been the headline more so than her, uh, her Freelich death that she had, uh, you know, won a posthumous Nobel Prize in medicine
1: or something.
2: No, it was just a science fair, but it was like she was developing something that would detect the Ebola virus. So I think that's pretty big time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: I don't actually know if if one of the difficulties in dealing with Ebola is an inability to detect it or not, but it, I mean, yeah. it does seem pretty like she she could have been working at the CDC right now if that's the the level of work she was doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, we'll call that canon-ish. <laughs>
2: Uh, a couple other uh, Canon-ish facts we get that got dropped in the article is uh, the renegade documentary that Levon shot was called Renegade. So I guess I'm hoping it wasn't um, you know confused for the uh, Lorenzo Lama show maybe on YouTube at all when it was put out there.
3: <laughs> um, I'm not familiar with that show, but it would be odd if you were looking for one and found
1: the
2: other. <laughs> um, And uh, her best friend was named Lisa Gibbons, which I was going to ask you if that's somebody that you named something after. But I guess if uh, whoever wrote this probably put that name in there.
3: Yeah. I I don't know any Lisa Gibbons myself, sad to
2: say. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: You mean Lisa Gibbons from like daytime?
2: (laughs) Entertainment Tonight? No, that's Lisa. Lisa. This is just Uh, a Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Her I remember. Um, and also the photo that's in the article is seems to be a screen cap of her goodbye video. So I'm just assuming that Ravi and Liv like sent the goodbye video to Wendy Bloom. You know?
3: Or we just didn't have any uh any other photos besides production skills that we did
0: there. Yeah, Robin, I think you're you're looking
2: really deep. Maybe she made a video <laughs> for her mom. I'm just saying.
3: Uh, well, I, I should also Slight correction I don't think her mom Wrote the article Her mom was just Interviewing
2: Oh, uh, okay Uh,
3: so Not that it seems As much in the, in the big picture But
2: Yeah Um Yeah, I can't remember I don't have it In front of me But, um But yeah, she's She, um It says in there That her daughter's brain Cured zombieism So Robbie feels super guilty I, I really, uh Dig what Raul was doing Um With this, uh bit of conflict here about, you know, the guilt that he's this impending dread. And, you know, what happens at the end of the episode is that it gets out and goes nationwide. So I don't know. I really dig what, uh, Raul did with that. I don't know.
3: Yeah, me too. I mean, he's great. Obviously the whole cast is great. Um, and he does such a good job. I think of, you know, a lot of the time the things that we love about Ravi are, uh, are comedic, elements, you know, and, yeah. and, um, his interactions with, with Liv when she's on brains and that sort of thing, especially as a contrast to Clive, you know, the sort of the three of them interacting, um, with regard to the personality that Liv is on in a given week, is always like a, you know, the heart of the fun of the show. And obviously, um, you know, their performances are, you know, as much responsible for that as, as the script is, if not much more, um, but I I think he does, Raul does an amazing job of going uh, into a different place when required as well, you know, mm. because you think of him as such a, a sort of fun and, and happy-go-lucky and, and funny character, and yet he delivers the, the pathos uh, when called upon in, in a way that really kind of breaks your heart, you know, with Isabel's death last year, um... I would say that's another spot and some of the other spots where we've had him in peril or in a, in a place where he's not really supposed to be, it's not appropriate to be sort of quippy or, um, or taking the piss out of a situation. Yeah. Really in those moments. Uh,
2: so this was really interesting. We have Al walking in noticing Harris and then she just goes ahead and grabs a couple of dumplings <laughs> Yeah, so um, she,
3: she's pretty sketchy, that Al.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Al asks about Blaine killing teens. What you know, Robbie mentioned before in the house, and Liv covers it up. And it's like you know, like drugs, they kill teens. And yeah, I, I'm, not sure Al, I'm not sure Al bought that. No, no, they're they're pretty bad liars.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Al knows what's going on. Yeah. She knows.
2: Well, by the yeah. end of the episode, definitely. Um, and she puts it all together. Uh, okay. So Ali's, um, yeah, just the, the conflict of Liv and Ravi, um, wanting to, you know, see Blaine go to justice, but knowing that he is, he's the one that's responsible for bringing the brains to the city was, was an interesting one, you know, and I'm yeah. I'm wondering where we're going to go with that. <laughs> You'll see this.
0: <laughs> but also, but also Blaine is kind of like this Harris slash Ferris Bueller character. He keeps like everything keeps turning up, going his way. Mm. Like he can't mess up. He's no matter what he, no matter what despicable things he does, killing teenagers, shooting Lowell in the face, it, everything <laughs> goes his way. Wrecking
2: Donnie's <laughs> dad's car. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. He's the Teflon. Teflon on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's just great that, um, I don't know, it seemed like a lot of, uh, is that the, is the, term chickens came home to roost? Is that, <laughs> um, I, I really loved how I, I, I worried that the show would kind of, uh, you know, kind of put some of these things that Blaine has done in the past aside and been like, well, you know, people kind of got over the whole runaway thing. We don't really think about, you know, LOL anymore. We don't think about, you know, the stolen cures anymore, but it's like the show has not forgotten about it and it's all coming back, you know? Yeah, I mean, it
3: it had to at some point. It's always been a struggle, I think, to figure out, you know, reasons why he doesn't get his comeuppance, whether it's from just the city or from our heroes specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, in the first season, it was that he was, I mean, it's always been kind of the same... The same overall reason, which is that killing him or putting him away might start an apocalypse, or 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 might lead to catastrophic consequences on a scale much larger than what he's guilty of himself. Um, And so, this is you know this is another situation where that is the case, and it's still the case. uh, You know, by the end of the episode, so we'll see what the fallout is from uh, you know a new character deciding that they don't you know consequences be damned. uh, You know, she wants the story.
1: Uh, Yeah,
3: we'll see how that uh, domino effect ripples through our, our world.
2: I was reading an article online of how, like, you know, this reviewer thought maybe the Al character was created as a as a character that could go ahead and really just push the, uh, the nuke blame button without any care for uh, what might happen. Or maybe we would, you know, we'd be, like, maybe mad at, like, a Liv or a Ravi or a Major that, you know, pushing the, you know, the blame button has so many um, consequences to it. But with, with Al, you know, we're just meeting Al and, and it's, and it's also interesting that it's like, you know, it is, as an outside observer coming in and talking to everybody and going, what, who you fell for that. <laughs> right. Um, and it is kind of a, a, a simpler uh, way of looking at, it. I mean, especially with the, what happens with Peyton, you know, but Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know that review and I don't know that we exactly approach it from that angle, but certainly there was always the difficulty with, you know, what I just mentioned of the constructs that we created, um, to justify why our characters didn't take Blaine out at some point Mm -hmm. also made it tricky to ever have them, you know, reverse course on that. Um, so the way they were designed, we needed it to be, um, a very good reason uh, you know a, a reason you would understand if you were in, the, in in their situation um and and somewhat insurmountable to keep that that character afloat for five seasons yeah um and so in that sense, I suppose that 's uh you know as good a theory as any is that you know we needed another character that we weren 't invested in or, or weren 't feeling you know uh, was a hero of the show um to do the damage that we we weren 't willing to put on our our characters, our lead characters, shoulders.
0: Oh,
2: okay. A real wrench in the gears.
3: <laughs> yeah, because you know, I I suppose you could have arguments on either side, but if you were in that position and you knew that the city is on the on the brink, and Blaine is the only guy who is keeping the uh, the flow of brains coming in, um, and that you know it, it's just sort of a delicate delicate balancing act, uh, which if if anything falls apart within that. Um, Seattle is over. Millions dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly the world is over. I mean, it's you know, it's somewhat abstract, but I think it's when you think about it that way, it's totally justifiable why uh, Liv and Robbie would would sort of seem to be protecting him,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and Aiden as well. Um, and you even see the conflict with Robbie too, right? Where he's just like, this this can't be how it works. Like, why does he keep getting away with everything? This yeah. is you know, as unfair as it gets.
2: Uh, I, I love the, uh, the line, I know how to heal your chakra, Barty. Let's solve the case. And Ravi's like, I'm not a fan of the the wordplay with my name. Like, let me know more of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's mirroring what Harris did in earlier, making in front of Ham's name.
2: Yeah, That was our intent. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it landed. Uh, so we go to interrogation which uh, Ravi and Liv are, uh, they're just like not prepared for the, the sobbing I, I guess I uh, just like I, I love the 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 you know we see Ham you know choking up and crying and then it goes back to Ravi and Liv's face and they're just their faces are both just plain expression like when is this gonna be over with? <laughs> this is not as fun as we were hoping. <laughs> right. And uh yeah, so this is an interesting oh sorry Steph, did you want to say something?
0: Oh and with uh with Liv FaceTiming with uh Clive, it's just like Ferris breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. In also Ryan,
1: I'm
3: glad I'm glad that landed as well. That's what we were shooting
2: for. Oh gosh. When that when that happened, you know, at first it was like really funny seeing, you know, Malcolm as Clive just high as a kite, you know. Um but then, when she's talking to Clive and the camera, I was like, "Oh, I see what they're doing here. That's really that's really witty way. It's you know, it'd be so weird for her just to immediately turn to the camera and start talking."
0: Yeah, when she's never done that before. Yeah,
2: right. Uh, and <laughs> just him going, "Ooh." <laughs>
1: That's so funny. He was so good.
2: How, was, was all that really scripted out, or was that – did they just kind of let Malcolm fool around a I little mean,
3: bit? It was – the, the um, framework was scripted out, yeah. but he had, he had some fun with it.
2: <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, we we have uh, Wells pointing out the whole memory loss thing to Enzo, and Enzo's like, haha. Or more – sorry, I should say, oh <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, How hard is it, by the way, to kind of write for Enzo and just keeping him as, as French as possible?
3: Uh, well, it's not uh, probably not as hard for me as it might be for other writers, just because I grew up um, like right next door to Quebec, the, oh. the French province in Canada and French was the language that like the second language that we all took in school. Uh, half of my hockey teams growing up were French, so I, I can hear the. The voice uh, in my head now nobody was as cartoonish as, as Enzo is <laughs> right. um, the way that we write him and um I think uh john does John Emmett Tracy does such a good job playing him and it's it 's a thankless sort of a role, frankly, because we do write him quite over the top and um when he started out, you know i don 't know that we had in mind um, all the places the Enzo character would go um. And, he, you know, he's just, uh, John is just such a good actor and delivers all the time that it was an easy choice to keep him around. Uh, and also a great foil for, you know, the Fillmore grave storyline. Yeah. But it did present this sort of a conundrum where we'd started him off very, like, Clouseau and kind of just as a, you know, as a bit of humor. Um, And then we had to, you know, sort of figure out if we could dial that back at all. Uh, or dial that down at all in, in our dialogue for him um, in a way that allows you to take him somewhat seriously as an antagonist.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, it takes you kind of off guard. You, you know, I I think uh, when he starts, you know, you see him, like, releasing uh, Tater and Chris, I think his name is. Um, when he's working with, you know, Angus or with this new boss guy, um, yeah, it's just... it. it it's interesting. It's like, uh, I'm not sure if he's, uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. Is it, it, he's constantly just dissatisfied with how things are going with Fillmore Graves and he wants to do things differently. Um, what do, do you have, yeah, I mean, do you have to say about
1: that?
3: I, I think he's just gone, um, fully militant, pro zombie, mm-hmm. anti-human. Um, I don't know that uh, we, we started him as more of a, a company man, um, you know, more sort of pro Fillmore Graves than anything else. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm just you know, kind of spitballing here because it's not like we've really mapped all of this out. And I certainly mm-hmm. can't speak for the, you know, the real powers that be on the show. Um, but I think there's a lot of characters that, uh, you know, would, would get further radicalized, uh, as time wears on and as the pressure inside Seattle's walls builds. And I think, you know, we see that with some of the, um, you know, the Dolly Durkins people and some of the, sort of anti-zombie terrorism. And then we also see it in the response from a certain faction for more graves. And I would say that, um, you know, I I don't think Enzo necessarily had this agenda from the beginning, but has become more and more radicalized as time goes on, which I think is is probably true of a lot of people in new Seattle. Um, Mm. you know, by this point
1: in the story.
2: Yeah. I'm almost like, I'm wondering like these, this last action that he does before, I'm, I mean, obviously you probably can't reveal what we don't see, but I felt like maybe this last action he took was more for himself and what he thought should be happening at Fillmore Graves rather than anything that like this new boss guy, um, you know, directed him to do. But
3: yeah, I mean, it's um, I think it's, uh, it's more just in the hard line Fillmore Graves, uh, you know, enough of this, we can all get along. Bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> we're the stronger team. Let's let's have a show of force so these humans stop trying to snipe us from buildings. <laughs>
2: uh, is there anything you can tell us about this new boss guy? By the way, it was very, very like he's got some sort of chrome dome on his head, or we see it wrong. <laughs>
3: no, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> um, his his uh, metal plate. Yeah. Um And uh, and we will be seeing more of him I don't want to give too much away sure. But he factored prominently in the back half of the season So mm. you will learn quite a bit more About that fella uh, Played by Bill Wise He was just fantastic And such a um, always makes such interesting choices uh, As we'll see going forward
1: hmm.
2: Yeah um, Yeah I look forward to seeing More of that um, Okay so we, we meet uh, Mr. Mooney which has got to be an Ed Rooney <laughs> character, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought there was his. You know, and I'm I'm sure this is by design, but I love the fact that he was an economics teacher, much like Ben Stein is in the in the movie. And now he's right. now he's since Ferris is uh, or Harris is <laughs> has. Uh, done better than him he's decided well i'm not good at economics i'm going to be a vice principal now <laughs> yeah. which is like
3: because pretty... there's no he doesn't have any skills to be a vice principal yeah <laughs> um all right no offense to still the vice principal's listening but i'm speaking purely from my own experience
2: <laughs> well i be who's the who's the vice principal on veronica mars i think it's kind of like a, a same kind of thing you know
3: but I, think- I only remember the principal on Veronica Mars, and he was—he started out as a bit of a um, the guy I'm thinking of started out as a bit of a foil, but ended up being a little more of a of a grudging ally, or at least a yeah. a guy who was rooting for Veronica. So we we liked him by the end.
2: Uh so uh, let's see more stuff here. I love the part of my French, but the dude was but dude was pissed, <laughs> <laughs> which I think was like um. Or like a combination of the part of my French, but you're an asshole, and just the way he, she says dude, like it reminded me of uh, how the secretary is, grace says righteous dude in, in Ferris <laughs> Bueller. Yeah, uh, so we bring in uh, zombie vampire Steve, and love him. What's that? I
3: love him. I think we should do a whole <laughs> show about him.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm ready for it, I'm ready for the spin off. Um, he is laying on the uh, morgue table. I I, I was like, oh, I laid there, <laughs> and not too long after this, I actually visited the set like uh, during the filming of the next episode and the episode oh, after is that, right? like the mid midway between them.
3: Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but I think this was a callback to Brother. Can you spare a brain?
3: Uh, which one is
2: that? When when uh, they turn the lights oh, okay. on and he rises.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Not thematically in any way, but, um, that was, that was, uh, back like beginning of season one, right?
2: Yeah. That's when live first meets
3: blame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, not thematically and not in any way that, um, you know, is suggestive of anything, but, um, I think I always just am amused by the idea of somebody, uh, catching a nap on a morgue slab and, <laughs> and the people that aren't expecting that. So it's <laughs> just recycled material, I suppose. Yeah.
2: Um, And uh, yeah, great line here where they were wondering about hacking Harris's social material. And Steve says, can a thing that's known for doing a thing do that very thing?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. And I can say that because I didn't come up with it. That was Rob. (laughs) Um, And it's one of those things where like, you know, it happens with Rob or with any of the rest of us sometimes where someone will pitch something just as a joke, like thinking like, of course that can't be part of the show, but let's make each other laugh in this moment. Uh, and then it ends up on the show, which is kind of, is like a encapsulates the tone of iZombie zombie in a weird way, <laughs> and things that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't expect in the context of, of the plot of the, of the show to actually fly as a, a line or a story beat. Uh, and we, we more often than not choose to just go ahead and do it.
2: Uh, we have, Ravi finding Major confused, and uh, and they he and Liv make uh, Major some brains, and they determine that the recent grave robberies were Alzheimer's patients, and the brain tubes were spiked.
0: Yes. Okay, that was very <laughs> eerie to see that confused look on Major's face, mm. and yeah. him talking about something from the past. Like oh, dementia. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that was that was a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. And they played it, you know, really well, I thought. Yeah. Um, really straightforward. No, you know, not not trying to do anything extra with it. Just no. sort of like this is what's happening and it really
2: sucked. Uh the grave robbery uh line reminded me of the, the iZombie comic book too. Right. Um, yeah. But uh I also just love the idea that, you know, now we're we have this whole thing where zombies' brains can be just like spiked with other people's, you know. If you pick out a, a, a certain brain that somebody died from a certain thing or was known for a certain thing, you could kind of dose somebody. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So the next the next thing is the uh, come on Eileen's uh, uh, scene, which I thought was really really funny. I, at first, yeah. I thought that all like live was like okay, there are dosed brains in you know out there. Uh, let me make sure the officers are okay. And let me just kind of divvy up these, these dumplings between the rest of the staff here to make sure that they're okay. But I think it was just more like a, I don't know. She was
0: just being the life of the party. Exactly.
2: Yeah. 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 And you know, Ferris Bueller, a lot of of the cops are still
3: human too. So that's true. Yeah. Most of them. I would, I would,
2: Um, and Ferris Bueller, of course, known for public public singing
3: yeah yeah that was a, a very 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 scaled down version of the uh, yeah. uh twisting show parade
1: yeah
2: although i yeah I'm, i think uh, I think at the end of the series we should have a, a nice uh, parade through new Seattle with uh live singing uh, i I'm, I'd be okay with that
3: <laughs> well i can't confirm or deny that that will or won't happen um I can confirm that our budget did not change this season. Uh, so
0: sorry. Well, that's um, good it didn't go down. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that is good.
3: Um, I just wouldn't expect uh, set pieces of, of that scope.
0: Well,
2: so. maybe just like the, you, you guys pop Rose in front of a screen with, uh, with a, you
0: know, no, previously no. stock Remember? footage for <laughs> What was that Sarah Michelle Geller show? Oh, Ringer? Uh, Ringer. Yeah, no.
2: Yeah. Don't do that. Oh yes, they did a, they did some uh bad boat effects. She wasn't really on a boat, but
3: was well, that right? Yeah. Noted.
2: Um so Harris's uh Harris's password is I want to touch your monkey, which yeah. was this a Dieter? Uh
3: absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to touch my monkey? Uh, I couldn't help myself. All right. Uh, <laughs> So Enzo orders a riot control team and a water cannon, so that happens, and then we go back to Major's house, and he I love this little moment where, you know, we don't get a lot of Major and Ravi, but at least we got him leaving a voicemail for him and saying, you complete me. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Thanks for looking out for me, bud.
2: <laughs> yep. Hashtag Roger Endgame, or uh, Rager. I never know how to pronounce that.
3: (laughs) Well, Roger just sounds like you're saying the name Roger.
2: But I think that's funny. You know, like it works that way. (laughs) Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we get this kind of fun montage with uh, the teens and uh, Vice Principal Rooney, or Mooney, uh, finding out that uh, Harris is back on Twitter, at least. Um, Right. did, Did you do anything... In regards to kind of directing how how you wanted that to go down, it's not uh, how you, you, about you mean? Yeah, well, you know, it's not often you see like a, a montage on here.
3: You know, and I mean, the, the idea that it was that we were checking in with all of our characters to see their reactions was certainly in the script, but the style of it um, was all LL and, and our editors. Um, uh Varani Rani is one of our editors that's been on since the beginning and mm-hmm. uh and edited this episode so I, I just wanted to shout him out real quick because he's one of the uh you know one of the o g i zombie people who you know works in a department that doesn't get enough credit um one of the many departments that just in any you know on any show or movie doesn't get enough credit mm-hmm. but uh, our post-production guys always do a phenomenal job. Um, and so I think between him and LL, they, they sort of put that sequence together um, stylistically. And, you know, we had the framework for it in the script or whatever. But the, the fun and the 80s feel of it was all them.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it was very much like a – like almost like a Save Ferris kind of thing. You know, I like got the students are so concerned with what's going on with, you know, Harris, you know. Um, right. You know, and obviously he died. They had a visual. But um, – him showing it, back up would it, it, be a huge, a huge impact on the school.
0: Yeah. yeah, and how it gets the information out to all the would be uh, suspects.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool because you know it they do the montage and right at the end, it breaks it into three frames. We see, we see Mooney, we see the, the girl and the, the ex-boyfriend. And then we see Ham there. And then we go to the next scene, which is the whole setup with Steve. And Ravi's like, what about Blaine? And Liv's like, oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's almost like, you know, you're, you go into this thinking that it's going to be one of those three. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, you know, little,
3: What's funny is that, um, that line was a late addition because all of the writers forgot about Blaine too.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and Rob just mentioned it, um, at some point, I think after I'd handed him my first draft, because we had it, you know, we had it all outlined and I followed the outline, but it wasn't even in that. Like, we, mm-hmm. you know, Blaine's storyline became more about Al, um, and so, uh, that was like an 11th hour, like, oh shit, we set up Blaine as like suspect number one. We should probably remind everybody that, uh, he's still on the list. He hasn't been eliminated from, uh, from suspicion.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. This is a, this is kind of a, uh, a differently built episode because the case seems to be front loaded. So you can get into what's going to happen with Blaine at the end. Um, right. So it's, it was cool. It, you know, the, the, there have been a, a few episodes the season where, you know, they, they've they played the case to the very end and it's almost like solve the case credits, you know, whereas the case is solved and you're like, oh, man, there's like, like 10, 15 minutes left. What's going to happen?
3: <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like we've done that a little more often um, as the seasons wore on because the, you know, in the beginning it was – probably weighted more heavily toward our cases of the week and less so toward our um overall serialized arcs Mm -hmm. and i think the show goes on the serialized arcs have taken up a little more real estate so we do end up i think in the later seasons um you know wrapping up our case by the end of act five sort of thing uh in a lot of cases and then and then all of the six act is you know after that last commercial break is just whatever our ongoing stories are
2: I mean, cause you're, you're wrapping up a, like a series, you know? So it's, you know, I, I understand that the the procedural element has, is, is like a mainstay of the show, but it's, it,
3: right. I'm sure
2: you're, you, you guys were all like trying to think good ways to wrap up individual storylines as the, as the season wore on, you know?
3: Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's a difficult little uh, math equation to figure yeah. out exactly when to parcel out the breadcrumbs. Uh, throughout the final season that gets you to the, the series finale, um, hopefully we did a half decent job of that. But I, I suppose the, the jury will be out until August first.
2: Oh yes, yes, August. Fir- I forgot to mention at the top of the show, August first is the series finale. Um,
3: and yeah, so- that coveted uh, <laughs> midsummer time slot we got. I'm, I'm sure uh, i Zombie fans will uh, will find it
1: one way or the other,
3: <laughs>
2: and that's all we care about. Yeah, I mean, it, I did the math, and it seems like they have to take one week off in the season. So I'm assuming it's the 4th of July, which is one of the Thursdays.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be, right? I, I haven't looked ahead to see uh, the, the schedule myself, and I'm not privy to that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I would assume that's exactly right, because, uh, you know, who's going to be home watching television on that night, presumably? Well, you not, know. Not we, we normally have.
2: I can't think of a more you know way to celebrate America than a show, <laughs> border control, right. uh, riots, uh, things like authoritarian that. regime. Yeah. yeah. USA. USA.
1: Sure.
3: Okay. I'm, I'm going to get deported now. By the way. <laughs> Thank you guys.
2: That's nice knowing you. <laughs> uh, well, Seth is uh, deeply rooted in in Alabama, with you know, yeah. So, but uh, you know, I'm 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 in Vermont, close enough to Canada that I guess they could probably get kicked across the border pretty easily.
0: I'm in 1955. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so
2: yeah, the the, the case is uh, kind of wrapped up. The 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 whole scheme with uh with vamp- zombie vampire steve hosting the radio show i love the addition of uh yellows oh yeah um yeah we had to get that in there <laughs> and uh live saying she's a zombie and robbie is heavily armed and he's, he's got like a teaser gun he's like i have never used this before
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> i would like a big credit for that too but that was uh that was one of the robbery lights which um which i quite enjoy yeah um Yeah, Robbie, like I said before, you know, the the bulk of the episode, he's kind of in this down place, which isn't fun, Robbie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he still makes those moments work, like those little moments of levity where he's still very much that character. And it doesn't bump you, I don't think, um, from the mood that he has been consistently in otherwise.
2: No, but it it plays into the Ferris Bueller of it all. I mean... Yeah, we had Harris yeah. and Ham, but now we have Liv and Ravi, and t- talking about that relationship and how much Ravi, you know, like the, I love the moment where she, where he's like, "Clive's your boss," and so am I, by the way, yeah. <laughs> just to remind you.
3: <laughs> yeah, they don't exactly have a a boss and subordinate relationship at all. No. It's nice to to think that he's still hung up on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that we 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 commented on that and maybe the pilot, and ever since then, not really.
3: Right. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he's. I guess he's technically your superior at work, but you yeah. know, she's his superior in uh, all of the supernatural ways, right. except for the monthlies. So. Um,
2: but yeah, since since Ravi is um, in this bad place you know, emotionally with regards to the whole worrying about the frailic kids. Um I love it's it's very much like uh when Cameron was in Egypt land kind of thing. <laughs> it's it's yeah Harry you know the the Ferris the Ferris has to get the the Cameron out and get him get him feeling positive about himself, you know. Right. So and uh yeah, another Ferris joke, uh the Donnie showing up and doing the uh the little singing telegram thing. Right. which is the nurse, and uh, even worked in a, a Pretty Pretty Woman homage in The Vision.
3: Yeah, I, I didn't know if that would work because that's such a –
0: Oh, I guess, it, it, I, it, that, that, that people know that.
3: No, no, I, I, I knew people would know it. I just didn't know if it could be performed as well as it was because from what I oh, read,
0: yeah, yeah, that yeah. was
3: uh, improv. Like that wasn't scripted in The Pretty Woman, and Richard Gere just did it. It's yeah. so Robert's reaction, which is I mean it's in the trailer for that movie it's such a phenomenal moment um was apparently natural because she she was genuinely surprised that he did that yeah. um, so when we wrote it in the our script, I just didn't know if that that sort of reaction would come across as fake or whatever, but I think the the actors did a pretty great job oh, yeah. In do <clears throat> and and then you
2: know the case is over a week you know we could still reflect on. You know, Harris and what he meant to Amy, you know. Right. You can Mm -hmm. see right there why Amy would choose Harris over Jamie. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: that's she's indebted to him. Mm
2: -hmm. Or just, you know, he's just a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is an interesting thing, too. And I'm not sure, you know, what what you guys uh, uh, thought about when setting this up, but we have this vision. And then, you know, it's Liv going into it and then Al coming out of it as if right. they're having the same vision at the same time. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if you're setting up any sort of canon here. Like if zombies eat the same brain at the same time. <laughs> this is
3: me
1: thinking no, too no, much, I, about. I don't the think
3: <laughs> was, I mean, the visions have always been triggered by, you know, something that happens that just uh, whether it's a smell or a sound or a sight. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me that um that pulls that memory from the you know the victim's brain to the uh the eater of the brain's consciousness. Um and so it it's not that if two zombies eat the same brain, they have the same visions at the same time. Right. It's just that we you know cheated it a bit that um because we like that transition, you know, and, and so in Al's case it was or in Liv's case it was opening the door of um Harris's house. And in Al's case, it was getting the flower delivery. So they both had a similar vision trigger that led to them seeing the exact same thing. But um, it was not meant to be anything about the you know connectivity of their brains on some sort of a telepathic yeah. level or anything like that. It's just uh, it's a bit of a cheat on our part to you know to, to get the surprise reveal of oh shit, Al knows this now too.
2: I mean, and it's not like something that was. You know, too much of a cheat because, you know, if it was like they're both uh, opening a can of uh, tomato soup at the same time, you know, that would be one thing. But they're just approaching doors. So that could happen at the same right. time.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think in the TV world, like when you cut from one scene to another, there's also no I don't think there's any like hard and fast rule that that is a moment later. I mean, right. Obviously, there's a lot of things that you, you know, cut out at night. and The next scene is the next day or whatever. But even when it's like sort of a matching cut like that, I don't think there's anything that says like absolutely that was the same moment. But we certainly wanted to play it as being around the same time.
2: And we get uh, a bit of updated information here. We now, Liv and Ravi, know for certain that you know Donnie is involved in the the stealing of the the cures. Whether right. he stole himself or he's just or Blaine did, and he's just was involved.
3: Right. So,
2: will we ever get a definitive like? It's definite. It was definitely Blaine in in the morgue with the candlestick kind of thing. (laughs) Because it's been it it was a mystery for a while there. Right. Um, Until Blaine produced them, of course. You know.
3: Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I I really think that that's a pretty close confirmation. I Mm -hmm. mean, they Donnie, um, as we portrayed him up to this point. Uh, is not really out on his own. Um, he's always he's always under Blaine's thumb. Right, and so in my imagination, at least, um, you know, any bidding that he was doing, including the delivery or, or theft of cures, was not secret from from Blaine. It was at the behest of Blaine.
1: Hmm.
2: Uh, all right, so so Al <laughs> gets Donnie drunk, and and blows off Blaine's date that it's now Thursday at eight. So high yeah. <laughs> yeah. zombie is not playing at the scratching post. I have to say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it should be, um, and then we get this great scene with, uh, Al and Peyton.
3: Um, yeah, that was a fun
2: one. Yeah. And, and just, just, uh, calling out and, you know, again, it's, it's a, it's a lot of the, um, it just feels like it's like, this is like the end of this series. Like things that are, things that have happened in the past. We need to be reminded of the whole runaways, streetwalkers, the the mention of meat cute. And then the whole mention of Peyton's relationship. And what a mind blower to me, you know, maybe people have thought of this ahead of me, uh, or maybe you guys thought of this and you're like, I'm going to, we're going to really, we're going to really push this idea. It's the fact that Blaine might've killed baracus Um, not just to make it seem legit that the cures actually worked and to show everybody this is definitive proof, but also to help accelerate Peyton's career.
1: Um, as a
2: mm. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't
3: know if I have a comment either way on that. I, yeah. I agree. I think it's a, it's an interesting possibility that that factored into his thinking.
2: Mm-hmm. I literally was like, Oh, <laughs> but you know, and at the time, you know, he was still, I think, was he checking her emails or something? I think that there was one episode where you know Donnie was the the computer genius and he somehow got yeah. into her emails at one time. So he was still yeah. obsessed with same her. episode. Yeah,
3: yeah, because that, that's that's how Donnie was selling me or letting people know that there was an auction right mm-hmm. for the uh, for the cure, and that's killing this is how they proved it worked. So it must have been the same episode as I as I think out loud about it.
1: Hmm.
2: Uh, so yeah, the next scene we kind of talked about Enzo and his betrayal, uh, vive, vive chase graves, <laughs> whatever he said, a little bit, uh, major drop though. whatever there. Um, yeah. and then we go to, um, Peyton showing live that Al did publish this article, the devil in disguise. I l- love the, this a nice shot of Blaine with the horns drawn over him. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> our, our graphics people came up with. A, I mean, they they did a photo shoot um, with David Anders to get the right headshot,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and then the graphics department did the uh, the graffitiing of it. Uh, and I think it came out pretty great. I, um, I I am just now remembering that I had every intention to ask for like a printout of it, uh, you know, so I could hang it on my wall. Yeah. Um, every day I could look up and see the devil that is David Anders. <laughs>
2: It's uh, true they
3: should at least
2: release it, you know like as as an I would
3: image. So. I mean if I was him and I was at a convention that would be the, the picture I would have to sign. Oh yeah
2: <laughs> yeah definitely. Uh, and then we go to um, live finding Ravi fuming and it's because this the story blew up went nationwide. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, things just kind of are are falling here the the people protesting outside the scratching post Blaine finds out. And now there's the, the brain. It, the story has definitely affected the brain shipments. And now Blame's uh, house is being shot up. But I did want to say that um, I got a close up of the article and uh, recorded myself reading it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And, uh oh. Uh oh. And I'll pop it in right now. The Devil in Disguise Seattle's Savior is Hiding a Murderous Past by Al Bronson. Tall, handsome, and sporting a shock of white, blonde, perfectly coiffed hair, Blaine De Beers flashes his trademark devilish grin and tells me, You should really see my place. The night is still young. I'd be happy to show you its various charms. Within an hour of meeting De Beers, I'd been propositioned twice. From the moment I sat down at the newest establishment, the scratching post, a zombie-friendly watering hole, it quickly became clear... That this rich kid gone bad boy turned mogul is used to getting exactly what he wants when he wants it. But behind the rakish rock star persona that he's known for lies the true identity of Blaine De Beers. A remorseless monster determined to destroy humankind. Quite literally in bed with local politicians, De Beers leveraged a romantic relationship with Seattle's acting mayor, Peyton Charles then district attorney to attain his monopoly on dealing brains in the city. Blaine's Rise has the makings of a Hollywood supervillain origin story. He is the self-described disappointment of his wealthy father Angus, a polished and successful businessman. Smuggling to emerge from his father's shadow to Beers patiently and violently built an empire of his own as a self styled, swashbuckling brain bootlegger. His first entrepreneurial venture was Meat Cute, a brain dispensary that moonlighted as a butcher shop in order to keep his pink contraband under wraps. Undeterred when Meat Cute went under amidst suspicious circumstances, Blaine opened the funeral home Shady Plots, another clever front. ...for budding brain business. As demand for brains grew... De beers expanded and upgraded... ...with new brick-and-mortar locations... ...to include the Scratching Post... ...and upscale eatery Romero's. To hear him tell it... ...it's a modern-day tale of Smokey and the Bandit... Blaine playing the role of the roguish brains smuggler... ...keeping the world safe from an otherwise inevitable zombie apocalypse... The epitome of this well-crafted savior image is probably best encapsulated in his recent Margot Ball Motors commercial. Behind the wheel, he rhetorically asks its rapt audience, Margot Ball Motors, when heroes find their steeds, are you a baller? And the rest of the article is kind of cut off. Uh, yeah, I honestly, there, there isn't any sort of like... You know, Blaine confided in Bob Dearden about his brain. <laughs> del- <laughs> no, it's really just kind of uh, regular information if you've been paying attention to the story. It's it's just recounting what Al was reporting on the entire episode. That was definitely oh, that's, no that's Easter <laughs> But when they show these uh, articles uh, in close up, you know, while I'm watching the first time, I'm like, oh, I'm going to pause that and read that later. So,
3: right. Yeah, I guess it's funny how that's um, so much more of an option now. I mean, when you, you used to have VCRs and, and you would tape a show on that, you could try to pause it, but then you get those like squiggly lines. And yet, I don't imagine <laughs> if you'd copy that small too well back then. So I don't even know if they if they bothered, you know that.
0: Yeah, it was like television before HD didn't uh look at those uh details very finely but after the
2: lipso grantum or usually they pop in the rig they're just a filler you know
0: yeah but ever since hd uh and lost i feel like lost was a huge turning (laughs) point Mm
1: -hmm.
3: yeah well people really comb through everything as if um you know as if as much sort of uh thought would go into the copy of a, um, a newspaper article or magazine article as the plot of the show. And
1: mm-hmm.
3: they clearly did pay so much attention to the details and they knew that people were all over the internet trying to sleuth out, you know, what, what the secrets of the mysteries were.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's when it ramped up and everyone was like, well, we, we better make sure that the copy tracks. Mm-hmm. It's not just
2: gibberish. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, great. it's great. It's, 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 Fun bonus ma- bonus material, if anything, you know? Yeah. you know, you know, you don't need to catch it if you're just like watching it just to watch an episode and you're not hosting a podcast and analyzing every single detail. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. So we have Joyce come back and tell Major that Lamber- Lambert is in the box, uh, but 17 prisoners are gone. And uh, along with uh, Tater and Jackson, and major wonders who would unthaw our prisoners and why. Um, and then we cut to a cell and there are different Romero looking zombies staggering around, And one of them is definitely Von Duclark, right? Is that, was I correct <laughs> on that?
3: <laughs> uh, you were incorrect. <laughs> I
2: mean,
3: I, nothing would make me happier. And I think, um, that goes for a lot of the people involved with the show, uh, than us bringing back Steven Weber. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sadly, it, it's not to be.
2: I'm not sure if you were following. You're, you're the one behind the writer's room account that night. But it was just my train of thought. Like, here's some screencaps. Wait, this doesn't make sense. She's definitely digging brains out of his skull in this shot. This How, right. how does this even work?
3: <laughs> right. And uh, Yeah, I don't know. But if we had the foresight uh, to somehow leave, like, an opening where he could be alive, uh, I think that would have been a lot of fun for our final season. Because he's so good, yeah. Steven Weller um but yeah sadly no I didn't notice the resemblance either until um until you brought it up but I could see why he went that way he does under that makeup He, you know you could buy that it's Bondy Clark
0: well so is that somebody that we know or is that just oh there's something going on that nobody realizes
3: uh I think it's just somebody it's not it's not a um I mean I guess it's a bit of a spoiler to, to uh to unconfirm that, but um, it's not—it's not someone we know from previous uh, episodes or anything like that. It's just a just a zombie.
2: I think it's the fact that I think what you guys are trying to do is that uh, it's the fact that this is a Romero. This is a this is a zombie that is definitely not good. And if it gets out, it's going to be a huge problem. <laughs>
3: and yeah and uh, eighteen of them. <laughs> a very dangerous zombie, uh, and they're. There is a purpose to um, why he was busted out of the freezer and, and turned Romero. That you know, over the course of the next few episodes, you're going to see play out. Mm. So it, there is more to that story, but um, but it is not a, uh,
2: a callback to anything that we previously.
0: So it's like a weapon, maybe. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, did you want to stick around for a little bit of uh, feedback? Sure. Okay.
3: What's uh, what's Maddie got to say these days? 14 still- <laughs> emails or
2: what? Let's see. Well, I I I do have some comments. Steph, Steph you're getting email open, right? Yes. Okay. Th- so these are th- these comments are just single comments from um, the users of uh, TV Time, where our podcast uh, streams. Um, Gemini Coven says, "Hi, Clive is the funniest thing I've ever seen." Uh, <laughs> Becca says, "I'm so proud how far Major has come." <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh that's that's really nice uh, Dapo says what I don't understand is the reporter is a zombie so why would she do something that might jeopardize the lives of zombies well there's a question for you
3: well I don't you know I don't want to speak for I didn't create the character and and certainly I'm, I'm not steering the ship overall mm-hmm. but my take is just that um, you know she is sort of a reporter first. She's got her own agenda uh, and maybe doesn't believe that, um, you know, the same way that a lot of people don't want to believe that uh, a certain country we we might live in is on a certain path that if we don't stop it at some point could, you know, get pretty destructive and and horrible. I think she might be one of these people that is saying like, well, they'll figure it out. Like the government's not going to let us all die or kill ourselves Mm -hmm. if the brain supply runs out. And you know the sort of justice slash uh you know need for the truth to come out is more important than um you know than than keeping this one element of our delicate balance alive yeah i that was my take but I, you know again, not canon.
2: it's I mean Blaine has everybody over a barrel, he has got way too much power. And, uh, I guess, you know, I don't know, sometimes you just have to, uh, knock the whole house of cards over and build it up again. Yeah. Uh, Liam says this episode proves that karma comes for you, even if it's four seasons later. And, um, Madokun, <laughs> he says, bruh, the ending was way overdone editing. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> disagree, bruh. <laughs> These aren't comments that are directly to us, but I like to kind of uh, cherry pick from them because <laughs> our podcast does stream there. Uh, so uh, do you have an email for us, Steph?
0: Uh, how about Ephrex?
2: All right, EFREX.
0: EFREXes. EFREXes says, hey, Robin and Steph, i just get the complaints out of the way first. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> We've got too many storylines going on at once, and too many of them will advance uh, or... or get resolved faster than I'd like. Hmm. This this is what the show does, and it's been that way since at least season two. Given that, <laughs> though, it's always impressive to see how the writers manage to finesse everything into a more or less coherent whole while balancing the show's tonal range.
3: More or less.
0: And I think this episode Succeeds more often than not
3: Oh, high praise Let's put that on a poster
2: I love how our feedbackers have no idea That the writer of the show is going to be here (laughs) Listening to their feedback I'm so so uncomfortable (laughs) I definitely didn't send out a message like Yo, if you want to dunk on Bob, he's going to be
0: Uh, we got the Bueller-esque wackiness of the Brain of the Week, the ever-worsening human-zombie conflict, Blaine's world-collapsing... Uh, f- f-
2: f- Freelic.
0: <laughs> Freelic kids about to be hunted, and a bunch of Fillmore Graves Romeros being held for some still-to-be-revealed nefarious purpose. With all that going on, though, my favorite scene in this episode was perhaps the simplest and quietest, Liv and Peyton talking in their apartment as Peyton deals with the unfair fallout of their relationship of her relationship with Blaine. Allie Machaca was just heartbreaking and I'll never stop being impressed at how this show can deliver small scale doses of suffering and pain that are absolutely searing. Hmm. I'm curious to see if we'll get to see Al Bronson suffer the effects of her story. What will she do when the brain stops when the brains stop coming in. Finally, will someone please tell me that there's an extended cut of the cast scene, come on, Eileen, and will we get to see it? All <laughs> the best, EFREX.
3: Well, that ended a lot better than it started. He did say
2: he going to I mean, <laughs> gonna get the complaints out of the way first.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, it's all fair. I mean, I... Everyone's in, entitled to their opinion, and uh, in the writer's room, sometimes we have some of the same concerns, so I'm not going to pretend that um, that's out of left field. Um, but I, I do appreciate the, the back half of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the Ally Machalka scenes were just excellent. Like, yeah, when, she's, she's... when she's being interrogated by Al, oh, she's just, she's squirming in her seat. She doesn't know how to answer the questions: oh, I, What will incriminate yeah. her? What will incriminate?
2: And I love the you know, the close up shots of the pen, the earring. Yeah,
3: yeah. On. I find she plays um, subtext so naturally. Like mm-hmm. she just kind of—I don't—I don't know if it's because she's been doing it for so long, but she just like when you're on set and um, and she's a scene, she just kind of she falls into the rhythm um, really, really easily and, and gets the you know the sort of nuances um you know it conveys the nuances in such subtle ways that i am always sort of amazed and I, I do love the the scene between her and, and al who's played by Cage delightly who's also fun um and uh you know she does appear in the next episode and not to spoil too much you do learn a bit more about um what motivated her to to kind of um go after blaine in the first place mm-hmm. and to an extent what the um Consequences for her might be so that's, I think, properly vague enough, uh, while still being slightly tantalizing. Um, to so totally, well.
2: we're, we're talking guillotine here, right? Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. well, maybe
0: she's not even a zombie, maybe she's lying, maybe she's not a zombie. <gasps> she
2: ate the brain. Well, she did, did
3: have he? a man. oh,
0: that's right. Oh, that's right,
3: probably a zombie, yeah,
0: because I was thinking she didn't sleep with Blaine.
3: She That's because she's revolted by him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she's not attracted to him.
3: No. which I i mean, even with how bad he is, I, I, how can you resist David Anderson?
0: <laughs> well, some, you know, some people really don't like bad guys. Some, and some uh, people are very attracted to the bad guys. This is so, a great transition.
2: You yeah. <laughs> okay. are Blaine apologist, Tim, who's ri- ri- writing into us, um, who I always pick on because he's always justifying Blaine. And, uh, He he says, uh, Robin and Seth, well, that was an an eventful episode. Al is savage, but at the same time, totally morally right in all she's doing. Candy called it in the premiere with the King Kong quote, "'Twas beauty that killed the beast." Nice pull. Uh, Ah. Or at least put his head on the chopping block. Since at this point it's clear they're not going to pull a Spike-esque redemption for Blaine, he's screwed. I honestly don't see a way out of it for him. Unless he leaves Donnie to run things and then pulls a Mr. Boss by way of sneaking out of the city and running off to an island with no extradition treaties so that he can come back in an eventual reunion movie like Rob Thomas did for Veronica Mars. Too much to hope for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had no idea that Rob Thomas did all those things. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I see what you're saying. (laughs) Uh, The Case of the Week seemed pretty filler compared to the Blaine and Major slash Enzo storyline, but it was a fun brain, and I actually did feel bad for the victim. He seemed like a good kid underneath all the obnoxiousness, what with donating his money to charity and buying the cure for his girlfriend. Along with Ket Turton as Vampire Steve, that actor was the MVP of the episode. He didn't have much screen time, but he made the kid an actual character. A lesser actor could have made the kid seem like an annoying punk, but in true Ferris Bueller fashion, he had charm. And uh, I think he's commenting on stuff we said in the past. He says, uh, maybe the reason I feel so indifferent about the teens Blaine killed is because we didn't really get a chance to know them. Save the one major new from the shelter, or maybe in spite of Robin's assessment of me being a great guy upon actually meeting me, I'm just a terrible person who is like that Nike <laughs> meme of Michael Jordan saying F those kids. So long as I get a fun scoundrel to watch in all seriousness, thanks for the kind words. Robin is great meeting you in Atlanta. Sorry. I didn't have a chance to meet slash amuse you as well. stuff. Yeah I, I met him
0: Yeah, I'm jealous Yeah sorry <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, We have one more email from Dave
0: uh, Dave says Another busy episode It was very busy It was a lot going on mm-hmm. uh, Number one The 80s party looked fun Super fun Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Number two Andy Blaine it Was not that sloppy To kill his neighbor like that But damn what a horrible way to- That is a horrifying way to go To be shh, shh, be quiet. (laughs) Number three, a nitpick for this episode: two medical examiners don't run investigations. Sorry, just not the uh, way things are done. Even having Liv tag along like she does is a bit abnormal. Yeah, but in the world of the show, it it works. Yeah, she's not supposed to be there in the first place.
3: I mean, I can see the bump with uh, you know we we knew it was a bit of a reach to have Liv and Ravi uh, conducting the investigation, so to speak. But to uh, at this point in the show, nitpick about the fact that Liv tags along at all—I I mean, there's no show otherwise. So I'm not sure if we can help him uh, on on that front. So. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh,
0: such a weird idea to have Clive phoning in this episode. Was he not available that week? Yeah. Uh, he's prepping for next week. I love
2: the wording of Clive phoning in this
0: episode. <laughs> like-, <laughs> like he was just phoning it in. <laughs> number four. Uh, uh, number four. Tainted brain tubes. Smart. <laughs> number five. Cures are back in play. I was wondering if that was coming back. Number six. Letting Brian <laughs> off the hook for his past. I just knew that was not going to go well, and Peyton is going to be in trouble. Right. Number seven. Isabel's brain cure is out there now. Ravi took it hard. Eight, finally the Romeros. Well, that's going to go bad.
2: <laughs> All right. And just a little bit more feedback from our Facebook group. There's not... There wasn't a lot of blistering takedowns, you know, so I think we're... <laughs> I, I'm happy to hear it. Um <laughs> it was a very
3: fragile ego, so... Yeah. Uh,
2: okay, last... <clears throat> He's okay. Uh James says at the rate New Seattle and by association the show is unraveling by episode nine or so, we'll have reached Hamlet levels of tragedy. I really wish we had never seen Fillmore Graves. <laughs> uh, sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just talking about the just the tragedy of the whole thing, you know. The, yeah, the not, oh, not the creation like- of Fillmore Graves, but like <laughs>
0: Like it, it, like, it just gives you a, a bad feel a sense of doom, and then it just piles and piles and piles on mm. top. Josh says, I love this episode. Having it be an homage to Ferris Bueller, complete with Liv's uh, fourth wall breaking, was a great decision. They finally acknowledged that Blaine David Anders looks like Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I had no idea this was a thing. <laughs> I've been saying that since season one. I knew Alice was wow. playing... Blaine I think she will die By the end of the season because no one Exposes Blaine's dirty deeds And survives though I do Have a bit of sympathy for Blaine In this episode
2: And uh wow he's a child Murderer but anyway Josh Josh Has sent us pictures of him cosplaying As, as uh, Blaine so uh, Another apologist Uh <laughs> Marissa, is our last comment, says, uh, Wow, they're really going for it this season. Seattle is going to hell in a handbasket with all the dirty secrets coming out. I don't have any sympathy for Blaine, but I have plenty for everyone trying to keep the city together. At the very least, I'm glad that Enzo finally got caught and taken out of commission, but he's least of their issues. There are very bad times ahead. And uh, can you confirm or deny bad times, Bob?
3: <laughs> uh, I will confirm bad times ahead <laughs> I um, in a handbasket is a great
2: way to put it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've had many, many theories. Uh, I wish we could we had more time to run them by you, but <laughs> this, this, this episode is getting pretty long, so um, we do have to mention that next time uh, on iZombie, Zombie, the episode's called "The Scratchmaker. Shipments of brains have stopped. You're toxic.
3: Thursday. You're Blaine's right hand man. We I mean,
2: you know how his system works. I just see what he says. It's Blaine's brains, man. Uh, gentlemen. Stacey Boss. Let's make a deal. I Zombie. Final
3: season continues Thursday, 8 7 Central on the CW.
2: And here is the description of the Scratchmaker. Um, after consuming the brain of the ultimate matchmaker, Liv is determined to find the perfect match for Major. Me what's what's wait a second. They're supposed to be getting together. Why is she trying to find
0: Oh, it's just to you know You, you can you can see
2: right through them. Those right It's a
0: side <laughs> avenue until we get to the finale. It's fine. Okay. OTP.
2: Bobby can you uh confirm or deny what seven <laughs> <to> say?
3: <laughs> I mean, I would be surprised if the end of I, Zombie is Major getting married to the woman Liv sets him up with
2: in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. uh, meanwhile, Blaine will stoop to any level to protect himself. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't mention in our recap is that he gets this alert about the whole Freilich Syndrome kids comes up on yeah. his. And if there's anything that Blaine is great at, it is uh, hunting down and murdering kids, right?
3: It's uh, you know not a coveted skill in our world, but in his it seems to be paying off quite well.
2: Uh, lastly, Don E contemplates an interesting offer, uh, and as we've mentioned before, Malcolm Goodwin directed this episode. It is written by Joshua Levy and Prathy Srinivasan. Did I say that correctly? Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this will be coming out on uh, my birthday. So I get an episode of iZombie yeah. just for my birthday.
3: That's how we designed it. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Bob, uh, for coming by and, uh, chatting with us and all the technical difficulties and reschedulings. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> oh,
3: no worries at all. And thank you guys again so much for, for all that you do for the show and for having me back. And, uh, and I hope, uh, you know, I hope, I hope we do you proud in this home stretch.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 proud already. Uh, <laughs> um, and and you you have another episode this season. Um, is it night night in the zombie right? Uh, night in the zombie city. Zombie city. Sorry.
1: Yeah.
2: And so you know, open invitation. If you're not busy, come on back and we, we'll talk so, some uh, we'll talk some noir zombies with you.
3: I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, you are assuming correctly, and I, I would be happy to. Uh,
2: and so for me and Steph, I'd just like to say. Death moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could be murdered slowly and horrifically in a steam room by your best friend. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Obligatory contact info in 3, 2, 1, go.
0: Send in your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com.
2: You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith.
0: You can follow Robin at LRobinYarrow.
2: Our podcast logo is designed by D Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash D Sheehan
0: check out our other podcasts you can listen to us binge watch through great shows like Dawson's Creek, Smallville, Veronica Mars, And when iZombie ends, kill more girls. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Be sure to check out TV Time. If you want to join a global community of TV watchers where our podcast, among others, is currently streaming, download the TV Time app today. Go to TVTime.com for more details.
0: Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We do this in our spare time, so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated. And the only payment we ask are your kind words.
2: And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are The iZombie Podcast with Robin and Seth.
0: And we're done. You think anyone's still listening?
2: Oh, they totally are.
0: Bye, zombie. Live forever! You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.